Today's episode of Quarantine Creatives is brought to you by Soak Pools. Soak Pools are revolutionary space-saving pools that combine the best of a pool and a hot tub, install in just days, and provide year-round enjoyment. If you haven't checked out Soak Pools' website yet, you're missing out. You've really got to see these pools to believe them. They are beautiful. And the best part is they can be designed to fit into any landscape and can fit in many yards where a pool hasn't always been an option. I remember growing up, our neighbors had an above-ground pool that was just kind of hideous and it took up a lot of their yard or the people that had in-ground pools, they had a whole concrete deck around it and basically their entire yard was just a pool. Well, soap pools have a smaller footprint and their custom design options make the pool blend in with your yard and it allows space for a lawn for the kids to play. So you want to have a vegetable garden, you can still have room for that, a nice patio, fire pit, whatever you like. Your yard isn't just going to be taken up by a pool. Soak pools are made in New Hampshire. They install throughout New England and can even ship anywhere in the country to be installed by your local pool company. For more information, visit www.soakpools.com. That's soakpools with an E, S-O-A-K-E-P-O-O-L-S.com. Soak pools, small pools, big benefits. Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. So, have you been cooking a lot more during this quarantine? I have been. I don't know. Are people are people getting takeout now? Are people going to restaurants now? There are parts of the country where you can go out and, and sit in a fancy restaurant and eat a regular meal out. We're not quite there in Massachusetts yet. I don't know if I'm there yet, personally. I'm still cooking a lot at home. I've been making a lot of new recipes and a lot of kind of classic standbys too. And I talk about that a lot on today's show, actually. My guest today is Julia Colin Davison. Julia is the executive editorial director at America's Test Kitchen, and she's one of the co-hosts of America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country on public television. But the reason I'm excited to have her on the show is she has really had to figure out in real time this whole new reality of sharing content from home. If you don't follow Julia on Instagram, you should go do it right now. She has an amazing Instagram feed and has really just gone to town with making amazing cooking content over the last two months. And this is an exciting interview for me for a few reasons. Julia is the first Boston-based guest that I've had on the show. She's also the first person in lifestyle programming that I've had on the show. For those of you who don't know, my background is in lifestyle programming, and I'm based here in the Boston area. I worked at this old house for about 15 years, uh, producing, directing, and obviously one show is about building and improving your home, and one show is about cooking great food. But the lifestyle genre has a lot of similarities, whether you're doing cooking or home improvement. It's all process-based, and it's all trying to teach people how to do something the right way. So even though I haven't worked with Julia directly, I've done a lot of work in my career that is very similar to what they're doing over at America's Test Kitchen. So I was really excited to talk to her and to just sort of figure out how she's evolving this model that, you know, this is the first time she's had to shoot her own content. It's the first time she's had to be by herself without a production team there. And she's got some really interesting insights in it. So here is my interview with America's Test Kitchen's Julia Colin Davison. So I was thinking, I don't know if you remember this, but I met you briefly about a year ago. I had done a thing with Bridget on This Old House years ago and had directed her in a guest spot she did. 
And she had been inviting me for like five years to come down to the test kitchen. Yes, yes, you came during filming. I did, yeah, and it was great yeah, just to kind of to hang out and and see you guys work. And you know, she had been inviting me since you guys were in Brookline, and I never made it there, but I made it to the new space down in South Boston, and it was awesome just to you know to see the filming and stuff in progress. But that was last May, and I can't was... help but realize like this is the time of year when you guys would be filming ATK, right? Yeah, right now we'd be wrapping it. How how um, how weird is that feeling to not be making the show right now? It's very weird. I mean, uh, we've been filming America's Test Kitchen in May for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, and it's that time when it, it's cold and switches to warm. Right. And so the mornings have a very distinct seasonal smell. And it's almost like Pavlov. I wake up and I think, oh, I got to go in gotta get to hair makeup right wait a second it's just it's it's um yeah it's just built in this is a this is a you gotta adapt that kind of moment right you know you gotta just figure it out and keep going and figure out i don't know how to keep working how to how to stay relevant and how to make sure your content really resonates with what people need right now and people need home cooking recipes uh, more than ever, right right yeah right our content is really valuable and so how do we get this content out to people you guys have had the last kind of two months to sort of start dipping your toe in the water. And, and part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you in particular is just, I feel like you have really sort of put the gas pedal to the floor on your Instagram account and you're just, yes, you're posting like, <laughs> not just, you know, kind of daily content, but it's, it's really useful, helpful content. And I was looking back at, at your feed before this call and there was a, a video you posted like probably at the end of March. Uh, and it was just a really basic like three or four minute tutorial, I think on like cutting an onion. Yes. And it was, you know, very straightforward and just kind of simple skill building. And now looking at the stuff you've been doing, you know, in the last couple of weeks where, you know, there's two camera angles and there's time <laughs> lapses. And, you know, it's not just like stuff that's all in real time. It's like, okay, now I got to cook it. Okay. Now, you know, the sausage is brown. Now it's time to add the, you know, whatever, like it's, it feels like you're figuring it out. And I think all of America's test kitchen, you guys have all kind of stepped up both on the, on the corporate accounts and on your individual Instagram and Twitter accounts and all just really trying to figure out, yeah, how, how do you get your content out there? in an accessible way to everybody right now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. By the way, that was a lovely compliment. And thank you for noticing my new, new, um, my dual camera filming that I've been working with Yeah, where it's two phones, not just one. <laughs> I'm a director. <laughs> That's where my mind goes. I'm like, Oh, Oh, she has a different angle. Yeah. Well, we have, uh, one thing that the company, you know, the company has just made some really smart moves in the past year. Uh, one of those moves is to ramp up our in-house video, uh, video production crew. Yep. And so we have an armload of editors at the ready to edit videos. And, that we're already up and running by March, um, a number of them, a whole team. Uh, so that was good. Also, our office closed way early on, way at the very beginning, before offices were even closing. And so that gave us a week or two to all be at home and sort of recognize what we needed to do. So yeah. we had a felt as though we had this weird grace period where people were still trying to go into work, where we were just firmly at home trying to figure it out. And so a lot of the kinks early on got figured out before it all went, you know, everyone was definitely at home. Right. And, um, and so on my Instagram, there are videos I do myself, like cutting an onion or cutting up a chicken. And then uh, two or three videos a week, I film multiple camera angles, multiple phones, really. And uh, I send it to a video editor. I put it, you know, in a Dropbox and she picks it up. She, her name is Marley. She's amazing. Um, I've only met her 
on Zoom. Oh, wow. <laughs> she's, uh, and she's funny and she's really great. Um, I've gotten to know her because I leave her messages in the videos. Sure. Obviously. Like, Marley, <laughs> cut that out. We're going here. Yeah. And so I send her the raw footage and she sends back a video that has, she edits and she puts graphics in and she does all those, you know, she cuts through the camera angles and does all that stuff that you're mentioning. Um, I tried to do one myself just early on, just to see if I could do it. I was not, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. It's hard. It's a different skill set entirely. It really uh, is. And it, it took hours and I came up with nothing and I thought, yeah, no, I can't do this. Um, so that's how we're doing it. You know, everyone is just sending raw footage content to, uh, this team of really talented video editors and they're just turning the stuff around really quickly so we can get it up and post it. And of course on Instagram, everything's free. So right. you can get some really valuable cooking lessons out there. And then if you want to know more, yeah, we have a lot more, you know, if you don't need no more good, if you, if you want more, we got more, you know, just follow, follow the trail. <laughs> There's cookbooks and websites and all sorts of stuff, you know, totally. um, and our website, you know, our website traffic has increased. Our cookbook sales are good and our content's really needed. And so figuring out how to get into the hands of people who don't know us is the trick. And social media is how you do that, especially in this day and age and this time. Yeah. Just getting people to discover the brand and, and see one video and say, Ooh, that's interesting. And then kind of dive back into the feed and say, Ooh, here's three more that are helpful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And for me, going back to the basics, like you said, how to cut an onion, how to cut a bell pepper, how to cut up a chicken. That's the stuff. I love watching that stuff. And I know how to do this. I still love watching other people do it. Yeah, They're quick, you know, they're quick little one minute videos that, uh, could be in, you know, you hope it's a little entertaining. If not, you walk away with learning a little something. And that, um, I've learned is the people, I get the most responses. Once you have a video that's much longer than six minutes, um, it's hard. It's right. hard to keep people's attention. It's definitely a new, a new landscape I'm learning as to what resonates and what gets people to kind of follow you and see what you're doing. And then, and then begin to ask you questions, which is where I, what I really love when people reach out and they have a very specific question. I got a question today from a viewer who said, you know, my daughter's birthday is coming up. She wants marinated steak tips done in a Greek style. What, you know, <laughs> very I, specific. You know, I was, yeah, I was able to respond, you know, this or this kind of meat, this or this marinade. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's really fun to help people on it. It's like a one-on-one -on -one basis like that. Yeah. It's interesting too, just sort of thinking about, the transition from cooking shows or what you guys do, what you guys do on the website or in the cookbooks, where so much of, of sort of cooking content is about being really perfect, being really glossy, you know, just having food stylists make sure that that everything just looks really appetizing. And and if those people aren't doing that well, you know, you've seen bad food photos all the <laughs> yeah, time, you know, at the, the, yeah. the mall food court or something. Where you're just like, I don't know that I want to eat that pizza or, you know, whatever it is. Like, but but thinking about sort of that leap to, to going from uh, this very designed space in the test kitchen that's designed for, for a camera to bringing cameras into your own home kitchen and just sort of, I don't know, like the audience expectation around that. I, I'm sure people must think you have the most beautiful kitchen in the world. Right. And then like, it's, it's a pretty, and then they see it. yeah. I mean, and it, it's, it's, it's much nicer than mine still. And it's still a lot cleaner than mine. Uh, but like, what was that? There must've been some intimidation there. Right. Of just like, Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, gosh. The first few videos I did when this whole thing started, I mean, they hit the cutting room floor. They're not going to see the light of day. Yeah. It was terrible. I, You know, the lighting was bad. Um, I was really weirdly nervous. I mean, talking to my own phone, no one else in the room. Right. I was nervous about doing this video. And for heaven's sake, you know, I've been on TV for 20 years, you know, with lots of people in the room and lots of lots of live demos. And but this, me in my own kitchen, was a different level of uh, personal. It was very personal. Yeah. Um, people, I'm bringing people into my house. And, um, and once I got, got comfortable with that, talking to, I don't know, a stranger who is in my head, I pictured them right on the other side of the kitchen counter. Right. Um, and once I kind of got over that, then I could have some fun. Uh, but it was hard. And the first, <laughs> the first video, I thought I hit the record button, but I was on photo. So I took a photo <laughs> of myself, you know, like you name the the goof up that could happen. I did it. Um, I did a whole um, video with the microphone on uh, the wrong setting. Mm. So I was super loud. I've screwed a lot up, but you get the hang of it. Yeah. You get the hang of it. But yeah, but being at home or the responses I've seen that I've liked are uh, about how casual it is and wow her kitchen looks like mine yeah yeah my kitchen's an ikea kitchen too <laughs> and uh someone said well i saw you do a poached egg right i saw you do that poached egg on uh america's test kitchen and you know i thought oh that looks okay and then i saw you do it at your house and i thought well that looks easy right. and so something right it's the same recipe and uh but something about seeing it in a home kitchen makes it feel more doable less you know less procedural less perfect and um just doable and i my mother watched it of course and uh she said she watched the video she got right up from her chair and went to the kitchen and made a poached stick wow. she's like i can do that yeah and i was like yes that was that's what i was hoping people would do yeah and it's just people like the the casualness and that it feels less like a production and more just like someone talking about how they like to cook which there's a lot of value in that too yeah it, it's it's just such an interesting thought though that like i feel like so much of the appeal of your brand yeah america's test kitchen is that you're all real cooks first and foremost right like you're not tv personalities you, you all came to this yeah. because you love cooking and just happen to be on tv to share that with people and there's still just a strange i don't know a disconnect or or some sort of barrier that that the production piece of it, that having, you know, the five cameras and the beautiful lighting and the good sound, there's an intimacy that's missing there that people are picking up on the iPhone. To your point, you know, you can make the same recipe in the, in two different spaces. And for some reason, the people see the iPhone version and say, I can totally do that. Like, I, I, I hadn't thought about that before. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. A barrier has been taken down somehow right. from a very professional space where, you know, we insert a thermometer and guess what? It always hits the right temperature right. to being at home and just seeing, right, I don't have all the winning pots and pans. I right. have what I have or the winning knives. And yeah, and it was it was that it was that particular comment about the poached egg that really when we talk about leaning in to being at home and cooking at home, that's what I keep coming back to. What is it about that one recipe, poached egg, that right, filmed two different ways, really resonated with some people more in the home version because it they, they could then see themselves in my shoes because I have an average looking kitchen. And, you know, what was it? Yeah. What, what was that? What barrier was taken down? Some sort of precious barrier was taken down where it feels more real. And right. I really, I want to lean into that. And I really appreciate the opportunity to explore that more and then figure out how to bring whatever 
whatever that is back into the test kitchen, because that is a valuable connection between being on camera and talking to someone who you can't see. Um, how do you keep that that realness? It's, it's a good lesson for sure. Yeah. And just thinking your, your, your point about the thermometer just always hitting the right mark or something, <laughs> you know, like I know on the producing and directing side of it, like part of the reason you do that is because you have all these puzzle pieces that you're trying to fit together. You know, you've got, I don't know, three or four recipes per, per episode for you guys. And it's a, you have a very hard time that you have to hit because, you know, PBS requires whatever 2246 or whatever the number is you know it. <laughs> that like down to the frame, you have to be at that. And so there's almost, there's not always a lot of room for, for improvisation or, or, imper or imperfect moments or, but, but when you're on a digital platform, it can be eight minutes if you want it to be, it can be four minutes. It can be whatever, whatever the content dictates is what, what the video ends up being. Yeah. And but there's the, the other things it's like, everyone's talking about being on zoom and loving to see what, it, what isn't behind everyone, what bookshelf, sure. what background they have. The same is true here, right? We go to, if we go to the oven on, the set of ATK, it's incredibly clean kitchen with the cleanest brand new oven you've yep. ever seen in your life. Right. Whereas at home, right, you see me bending down, you see me wearing whatever weird shoes I'm wearing, you see my totally dirty oven, you see a dog poking his nose, and all of a sudden you realize it's a person, and there's just way more fun involved, way more context, way more personality that didn't even try. You know, yeah. it's just you're naturally seeing into someone else's life, which is innately fun. I guess it's just, it's being vulnerable, right? And that's sort yeah. of anytime you connect with somebody, if you can, if you can lay your guard down and show your own vulnerability, people connect to that and, and they're willing to trust you a little more. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah. That, that is that nail on the head. That is exactly it. And I hadn't ever put my finger on it that way before, but that is exactly it. And it's not for the faint of heart to open up your kitchen, good and bad, sort right. of your life, your personality and your own home. It's it, that's a leap of faith, right? Because you know everyone has horror stories about nasty things that's been said about them in some way or another on the internet. Sure, so of course. You're, you're totally opening yourself up, and you know, thinking, oh, I'm really letting people look around my kitchen, and you know, where could that lead? Is that dangerous? And so all those thoughts flow through your head. But yeah. luckily, <laughs> luckily, I'm the kind of person that I make a decision and I think, well, I'm not going to revisit that decision for a while, and I just do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't revisited all those worries in a while, but. It's definitely a leap of faith in many ways to yeah. open up yourself. And like you said, be vulnerable and be and just and be accessible. And it's a place where sort of all of television is right now, too. Right. I mean, yeah. certainly food channel, you know, Food Network is doing a bunch of, of home cooking shows as well from from their stars homes. But, you know, you turn on CNN or, you know, The View or Saturday Night Live, you know, you name it across the television spectrum right now everybody's opening up their home. And so, yeah, it's that, that collective, you know, we're all in the same boat thing that makes yeah. it a little more permissible than maybe it would have been. I agree. I mean, I'm already used to seeing um, newscasters in their home basements or yeah. what have you, or cats walking behind them or what, you know, I'm already used to that. It didn't take, it wasn't hard to get used to people just being at home and doing their thing. It, uh, it also wonder if it's going to, if it's going to breed just a new kind of show because suddenly you don't need a studio, which is expensive and studio time and, you know, all the all the money that goes into in, in place and hiring people, if you can do a if you can do a decent show yeah. with two cameras and you can put together a decent show, it kind of opens up to what kind of shows you could do, too. And what would be interesting? Yeah, it's it, it gives you a chance to really 
explore new models, I think. And yeah, is the cooking show of two or three years from now going to look the same as, you know, sort of that Julia Child kind of set the model for us all, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, for 50 years, we've all been kind of figuring out how to remake that show. And is this sort of a seminal moment where we say, yeah, maybe iPhones in in home kitchens is really the path forward. And kind of Mm -hmm. as an industry, everyone agrees to that. I don't know. Yes, especially if you're just throwing it up on YouTube, you know, which is also really inexpensive and easy. I mean, people, there are a lot of cooking shows that are doing in their houses. I mean, Daisy does it, Lydia does it, um, Pioneer Woman, you know, I could go on. But those are all pretty fancy kitchens. If you look at all those kitchens, they're pretty swanky. Right. Like no one's, very few people are cooking in an Ikea kitchen, you know. And so uh, that's, I kind of, I'm excited to see if, if it's going to be more accessible and easier for people to do this, are we going to see different kinds of food really uh, being easier to make? Because, you know, Mm. you can get any ingredient these days in the supermarket um, or online. So there's not, it's not like 10, 20 years ago when we worried about calling for Chipotle. Um, That was on the questionable list in our (laughs) Chipotle peppers, you mean? Yeah, Chipotle peppers. That, for example, 20 years ago when I started it, um, Cooks Illustrated, that was on the warning list. Like, oh, you call for that, you're going to have to really explain why you need that ingredient. Right. And now, of course, you know, you can get them in a variety of styles at almost every store. It's just an example. And I remember we had a recipe call for goju jang two years ago. And I thought, wow, they're really expecting people to find goju jang at the store. And then I went to my local <laughs> my local supermarket and there it was. Like I reached right over. I was like, yeah. huh, didn't know. I wonder how long it's been on the shelf. Right. You know, and so, so much... So much is available, so many interesting ingredients. And I would love, I don't know how to use these ingredients authentically. I can do the research and I can learn, but I would love someone who knows about uh, authentic Korean cuisine with an iPhone and their home kitchen, show me some some really interesting basics. You know, it just, it opens up the world, I think, a bit. It's a, this is kind of a tough question in, in thinking about that, but like, if there is, let's say, you know, that that authority just on on Korean food and she's got an amazing YouTube channel that you can you can dive down that rabbit hole all day long. And there's another one that's that's Italian food and another one that's, you know, vegetarian and whatever, you know, just all these different cuisines. And I can, you know, through Google now find exactly what I want to make that night for dinner. Where do you see America's Test Kitchen's place in all that? That like, you know, you guys do have a big operation and like, is, is mm-hmm. there still going to be an appetite for for your expertise and you know for cookbooks magazines tv shows if the standard anyways is is people doing things with an iphone at home and and we become we accept that aesthetic yeah i there's always going to be a place for atk uh in part because we're we're so we're such a diverse platform i mean not only are our tv shows on pbs which is free um we have an online cooking school we have the atk kids program we put out you know 10 cookbooks a year plus uh, the magazines, um, I could go on. Yeah. And so, um, there's, you know, no, no one's going to be able to, you know, it, it'd take a lot for someone to be able to do that in all aspects. So our reach to people is just substantial, um, at this point, because it's been built up for so long. Um, also our testings and tastings there would be really impossible for other people to recreate, uh, the way we do them, which is pretty ironclad in terms of, having, you know, a quorum of people tasting or testing and really having strict rules about 
what constitutes good or recommended or unrecommended. And so that value won't go away. Even when you watch someone who knows what they're doing, it needs some deciphering down to, it needs some explanation. So there, I still think if you really want to broadcast a certain recipe to a larger group of people, that's where we come in handy. No, definitely. And just that, that vetting piece, I think is really important. Like I, my, my go-to cookbook, I have, I don't, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but it's a Cook's Illustrated. Uh, it's like the most comprehensive cookbook. It's like the size of the old yellow pages, you know, it's massive. <laughs> yes. And we just have all these little sticky notes of, you know, our favorite recipes, but like they're bulletproof, you know, and, and there are times where you go on a blog or something and you're like, yeah, that looks okay. Or, you know, you end up modifying it as you go. Cause you're just like, I don't know if I believe that step or this isn't working for me. Or sometimes you follow the recipe to a T and it still doesn't come out right. Or is, yeah. you guys, yeah, you, you vet these like crazy. Yeah. I mean, every recipe we cook between 30 and 50 times. And then we send all of our recipes out to, uh, Folks all over the country, we have panels of recipe testers. Um, I think we have about, I don't know, 70,000 people at this point all over the country who test recipes for us before we publish them. Wow. And so they'll cook a recipe. Uh, we'll send them a recipe and we'll send them a survey. Um, and the survey would be, you know, did you make it? Did you like it? Um, could you find the ingredients? Could you have used a photo along the way to help you understand what the instructions were, were talking about? Um, and then there's a question, would you make it again? And every recipe needs to get an 80%. Yes, I would make it again before it gets published. Wow. Um, if it's under 80%, it goes back into the test kitchen with all the comments of people who wouldn't make it again or, or problems they had to get fixed. Um, but even if it is 80%, we pour through those comments to see what worked and didn't work for people at home. Because if you're in the test kitchen, I mean, you have an army of test cooks, people washing dishes, groceries delivered, all clad stacked to the ceiling, sure. you know, like we can make anything work there, but that's not the value of a good recipe. You know, the value of a good recipe is whether people at home can make it. And there's only one way to know that and that's to have people make it at home and tell you. So that process is so well ingrained into how we do things that um, again, I think it would be really hard for someone else to get that process up and going so that they could have confidence that their recipes are putting out. Most people will be able, would be able to make. Yeah. And it's, it's part of the reason you guys have the reputation you do too, just because yeah, <laughs> these recipes are just, they're so solid. Yeah. Um, you were talking about sort of the, the spike in traffic before and, you know, seeing more people coming to your websites and social media platforms. And obviously that's, you know, we're all stuck at home and no one's going out to restaurants and stuff. So people are, are cooking a lot more. I'm just curious, like, do you have a sense of how the appetite for cooking content has changed? What, what types of things are people looking for right now? Or what are people cooking more of than they, they would have pre, you know, prior to the quarantine? Yeah. Um, prior to quarantine, uh, the the people were searching for things that were uh, a bit more varied, a bit more ethnically diverse with, you know, a wider range of ingredients and flavors. And then when quarantine, it was like banana bread, spaghetti and meatballs, meatloaf, mashed yep. potatoes. I mean, it, it read like a cafeteria school, like lunch menu. And is that um, comfort food or is that simple yeah. food or a combination yeah, com of both? Combination, yeah. I think, of both. It was... Um, People wanting comfort food, people also wanting relatively easy food that the whole family would eat, you know, without 
worrying. Um, I think a lot of families, you know, eat it in the old days anyway, you know, people were coming and going at different times, sure. especially. So yeah. not everyone would eat together, but I think, you know, now everyone's eating together again. And so, yeah, if you're going to make one dinner, it's got to please everybody. So that was the past few weeks. And, you know, I've been reflecting on my own wants over the past few weeks of food. It, it started out the same banana bread. I made meatloaf. I made mashed potatoes a bunch. And now I'm over that. I call it like I'm through that stage of cooking and I've moved on yeah. to, okay, I want to eat, you know, one, I want to eat healthy again, but two, I need more interesting flavors. Yeah. The healthy piece of it too is interesting. Like I, I feel that in myself too, that, you know, at the beginning of this, it was almost like, like a vacation. <laughs> Just like, you know it what, was. like use as much butter <laughs> as you want. We, you know, we were buying like the two pound blocks of cheddar cheese and just, you know, putting that in everything. And, you know, our diet four months ago, you know, we ate a lot of grains, a lot of, you know, quinoas and, and millet and things like that and tofu and just like that kind of all went out the window <laughs> like in the last two yeah. months. And now it's kind of like, you know, we might be in this for a while. I don't know that we can keep just eating high fat foods <laughs> all day long, every day. Yes. Well, and also here and where we live up here in Boston, the the weather was cold. That's true. And yeah. rainy. And, you know, you couldn't go out. You didn't really want to go out. But it was all just kind of it was just very sad. And uh, what you wanted was a big, hot, steaming bowl of comfort food. Uh, but now it's warm and now, right, things are slowly maybe starting to come back to normal a little bit, feel a little normal. Yeah. At least we can go get a haircut maybe next week, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> and so, right. And so, right. Like, oh, and today I put shorts on. I thought, oh, these shorts are a little tight. Huh? Like, right. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's get back to more vegetables, more grains, uh, leaner proteins. But doing that at home in a way that feels new and fresh because, I think I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for a change of scenery. I'm ready for a change of season. Yeah. I'm ready for a change of what I see on the dinner table. And that doesn't mean going back to what I usually did last summer. Right. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm really wanting something new. And right, I'm not going to get a change of scenery. I'm not going to get a change of a lot of things, but I can change the food I serve. And that could be in its own way refreshing and feel, you know, just a little interesting. Well, something to look forward to if you're going to play with a new ingredient or method you don't know. I sort of went through that last summer. Uh, we joined a really good CSA for the first time. And Ooh. yeah, and just get, you know, every week, you know, there, there's a lot of things that, you know, really well, tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchini. And then you get, you know, celeriac or turnips or just things that I'm not used to cooking with. Uh, and having to figure out each week, like, I'm going to get more of this next week, so I better <laughs> figure this out. <laughs> and it was just so nice to kind of feel in tune with what nature was doing at that time of year and just sort of what was growing. And from what I'm hearing, one of the big projects during this quarantine time is is building, you know, raised beds in the backyard or doing some sort mm -hmm. of home gardening. And I just feel like there's going to be an explosion of that, of just trying to figure out what do you do with all these vegetables now, right? Yeah. What do you do with all the zucchini? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, going to the store and just seeing what's available. The produce sections in our stores around here anyway it was, have been pretty well stocked, yep. um, which is good. But uh, I'm looking forward to the farmer's market for sure. And really, you know, in many ways, not only wanting to see some variety, but also wanting to make sure the local farmers survive. Right. You know, there's just I feel like during the quarantine, there's just the big stores all stayed open and all the little guys shuttered. Yeah. And so to think about the small, the smaller businesses, the smaller farmers and to be able to support them and buy stuff right from them, I'm excited for not, you know, just not only for variety, but for keeping the community up. Yeah. 
And it's been nice to see, you know, we've got some farms up where I live that have really innovated in this time too, that, you know, they've partnered mm-hmm. with other farms and brought in different things that, you know, some of them that were primarily meat before are bringing in produce or dairy or, you know, sort of other that you, you can do a majority of your grocery shopping now at, at a handful of local farms around me. And, you know, I, I just love that, <laughs> you know, I think yeah. it's it's so innovative and yeah, like not feeling like I, I have to go to, you know, the big box store or, or the big chain supermarket. And, you know, the restaurants are also getting clever because they have access to local farmers and, and local purveyors, uh, seafood especially. Sure. And so, right, like the opening their sort of their larder saying, you know, we could be a little grocery store for some really good food that you probably can't get other places. Right. Usually we cook for you. And I, that was so exciting to me to think, wow, I could have access to you know, the seafood and vegetable purveyors around Boston that I usually wouldn't have access to. Yeah, it's commercial Um, only. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, On the restaurant industry point, like uh, they're hurting more than anybody right now. Like, I I don't know if you have any any insight into sort of how how do restaurants survive in this? What's your take on it? How do you feel about it? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, From, you know, I have friends who are working in restaurants and out of jobs or friends that own restaurants that had to lay everybody off and are struggling. You know, everyone's trying to do takeout, which is, you know, the people that are doing takeout and doing it well, I applaud. It's not easy to make that transition. I don't know. I also, on the other side, I don't know that I want, I want the food of a restaurant, but I don't want to sit in a restaurant right now. I don't, I'm not comfortable doing that yet myself as sure. much as I love to people watch and get out and see some, you know, see a different scene. I, I'm not, I'm not going to feel comfortable going to a restaurant quite yet. So it's, it's hard. I, I don't know, but the need is definitely there. Um, I mean, I see lines around, you know, there, we have a, I live uh, in an area where there's a lot of fast food. There are lines around the building for right. fast food. So there is a need for food to be cooked by somebody else. If not, just for lack of time, but also, you know, good food that you probably wouldn't make at home. So the need is there, the desire is there, but figuring out how to do it in an enclosed area uh, is a tough one. Yeah. And especially around one. here, like, you know, in the summertime, people have some outdoor seating, usually not, not a whole lot yeah. often because we're not built for that, but you know, come September, October, we're back inside again at a time yeah. when the virus might be spiking again. That's it. That's it. And so I think, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very worried. Uh, but the one thing I know is that people, like I said, um, are being, have learned how to be flexible and adapt. Yeah. And, you know, restaurant people are tough, tough, hardworking group and will adapt as best they can and figure out new ways to make this work going forward. Uh, so that, and that, and for the people I know that own restaurants, that is absolutely the case and that they're going to work hard to keep the businesses afloat and figure out how to fill a need and a gap. You know, I wonder too, if it's, if this whole situation acts almost as like a sieve or something where, you know, hopefully the really great places survive and, and are able to thrive. And some of the places that were, you know, mediocre before all this, they either have to figure out how to retool and get better or, you know, they close and someone new comes in. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you think about the high end restaurants, do you really want to pay that much money for takeout? That's Probably true. not. Yeah. You know, you know, a lot of the beauty of that food is 
the short distance from the kitchen to your table. And so, right, you put it in a box and carry it home and you eat it a half an hour later, an hour later. You know, it's not the same. And the atmosphere too, being waited on and, you know, having a glass of wine and sitting by a fireplace or something like you're you're paying for that too, that you're not getting a takeout. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. People are still going to want to go out and celebrate those kinds of meals for sure, but they're going to have to get really expensive with a half empty restaurant. Oh, with all right. the protocols involved and that then i mean that then becomes a real treat like a real experience it's gonna it's gonna have to be really good to to warrant spending that amount of money to go out to dinner at that level so yeah, yeah i don't i don't know it's it, it's definitely i so i think about the great restaurants they're gonna have to change too they're gonna have to be more accessible, change what they do on their menu so that it can travel and, you know, figure out how to stay current. Yeah. Like all of us, I guess it's, it's adapting, right? We're all just we're yeah. all figuring out what the new normal is. Uh, I had one other thought just on sort of the quarantine stuff and all. I'm curious, sort of your take, like I got into the sourdough bread baking as, as did part you? of this quarantine. Yeah, I'm, I'm like my, I, I did maybe my seventh or eighth loaf yesterday and yeah they've been getting progressively better my starter's getting more healthy and just like you know they're they're much bigger loaves than they've been and you know just much more airy and just really really good but um it's been nice sort of to have the time for that and then i've been doing the thing that a lot of people are doing with saving the scallion roots you know (laughs) water and and seeing those sprout like i'm just curious sort of that some of those trends that are that are coming out of this whole thing how much of that do you think sticks with us and how much of that, you know, it's like a PTSD thing that like the moment this is over, you know, we go back to buying bread at the store or you know, throwing out the scallion roots. <laughs> oh, I've, I'm, by the way, I love these, these things, the sourdough starter, quarantine starter, yep. corn starter and the scallion trick. Um, I love seeing people grow scallions on their windowsills. I just think it's a blast and seeing everyone's starter. I've killed two, two starters already. I just realized I cannot keep, I, I cannot keep another living thing going in this house. <laughs> I don't think I've maxed out. <laughs> I also killed the kombucha mother. So oh, like I'm really done. I'm yeah. done with trying to keep no fermented products. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think a lot of it is going to stick around because if people realize they don't have to buy scallions every week and they can just, you know, if they only want to use the greens and you just want to keep trimming it, that's a, that feels good. You know, it feels normal to make the most of what you buy. Yeah. So that feels normal. And if your bread is coming out, one tastes better than the stuff you get at the general store, you know, maybe not as good as a, a, a nice bread bakery in town, but if it's better than what you'd get at, you know, the local supermarket, then you'll continue to do that. And plus it's fun, yeah. you know, baking bread is fun. Right. Um, it's just a nice activity and it tastes so darn good when it's fresh out of the oven. It's awesome. The house um, smells good too. I, I honestly, <laughs> yeah, I think these things will stick around. Now the gardens, I like, I always think of them as victory gardens sure. for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know how much of that'll stick around because gardening is, is hard. And, uh, unless you really, uh, var- I call it varmint proofing. Right. Um, unless you're really good about keeping the varmints out, a lot of your crops just going to get eaten. That's what I've learned over the years. And, and the varmints are even my own dogs so (laughs) they get in there and they just i don't know tear stuff up so uh, gardening is harder i've reduced my gardening footprint to really just lettuces and herbs Mm. um which is manageable for me nobody really bothers that uh, so I think maybe some of the gardening will stick around, but I think a lot of it might go away. Yeah. I'm worried, you know, just because it's, it's, a, it's a lot of attention. It's a lot of watering. 
That's that's the killer uh, for me is the watering. Like I yeah. I've tried to do it for a couple of years and finally like five, six years ago just gave up because summertime's when you want to go away. You want to be on vacation and you're you're yeah. if you're gone for a week or two at a time here and there, you can't water during that time and the that's whole thing's it. dead and you're like, I, I just spent this much money and this much time and <laughs> I don't have any tomato plants now, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, between the watering and the varmints yeah. and the and the bugs, it's, it's just harder. You really got to, you have to be really on it. Uh, whereas a starter, once you get it going, it sounds like yours is good. Um, you know, you can put it away for a little while in right. the back of the fridge and then yeah. bring it back. So you can give yourself a break. And same with the scallions. You know, if you're going away, just use up the whole scallions and start over. But I love the idea that people are making the most of what they get. like. The scallions is a good one. Um, I'm getting a lot of questions on how to store fresh herbs. And then mm. if you have leftover fresh herbs, you can dry them yourself in the microwave and make your own dried herbs oh, out of stuff that's going bad. Yeah. And just people not wanting um, to throw stuff away as much. And that I hope I think will stick around. People being mindful of their dollars, of their investments and of how much work it takes to grow, you know, a bunch of parsley. Yeah. Um, it gives so, you a whole so, different yeah. appreciation when you do it yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I remember um, Bridget, my co-host, said she grew broccoli once, and she grew it all summer. And she's like, "That's all I get." Yeah, one, <laughs> one, two stalks. She's like, "No wonder it's so expensive." Right. Um, yeah. So I, I like the idea that people are going to have a deeper appreciation for the value of groceries, and I know we have um, for sure. I mean, every I take inventory every day, every other day of what we have to make sure nothing gets thrown out. And I yeah. feel like a lot of people I know are doing the same thing. It's just. You know, I got a pound of hamburger. I'm going to use that pound of hamburger to its best, <laughs> to absolutely its best recipe so that, you know, it doesn't get wasted. Yeah. That was hard to come by. I think the um, time is a big piece of it, though, too, right? Like just being home and being able to look in that fridge, you know, three or four times a day. Whereas like when you're working, you're home at dinner and just like, oh, yeah, I'll make this tonight, I guess. Or, you know, let me just get takeout on the way home. Like yeah. you forget all of a sudden five, six days later. Oh, I bought mushrooms last week. I should have done something with those. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also dinner is now something to look forward to after a long day of being at home. That's like, true. <laughs> we're going to have dinner. It's like an event, you right. know, <laughs> so it's not just a means to an end of, uh, you know, getting some food in before you go off to do your next thing. It is, you know, it's something to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's the activity uh, right now. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to my parents and, uh, and they said, we're good. We have two things going on today. This call with you and dinner. And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and I get it. I totally get it. You know? Those are the highlights of the day. It's where we are now. It's yeah, yeah wild times. Nice and simple. All right, there we go. Julia Collin Davison. Great interview. Really enjoyed talking to her. Had a lot in common that I didn't realize until we had that talk. So I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad she made time for it, and I'm glad I had a chance to get her on. If I haven't said it enough already, go follow Julia's Instagram. It's really interesting what she's doing over there. And check out America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country. They're some of the best cooking shows on TV. Check your local listings. All right, so that's all we've got for today's show. Make sure you tune in Monday. We're going to have a brand new show for you then. If you subscribe, you'll be the first one to get it in your feed. Make sure you rate and review the show too if you like it. And give me a follow. I'm at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you next week. Stay safe.